Well, less than a year after graduating from seminary, our family moved back to, to this area, general area from Denver. Ann and I began attending again what I call my home church, Brandywine Valley Baptist Church in Wilmington, Delaware. Brandywine is a larger church than the one we had been going to in Colorado, and it was housed in a traditional building with a sanctuary and real classrooms and hallways, not a movie theater located in the shopping center with a few rented rooms, which is what we had been used to out there. My oldest son, Earl, was right about three years old at the time, was having around a difficult time uh, adjusting to the new Sunday school. And one Sunday, I was trying to drop him off in his class and make my getaway, and was again having a hard time. He didn't want to be left there. He, he wanted me, or better yet, his mom, to stay with him. And I tried to reassure him that everything was going to be all right. And then I told him, you see all these people here? They all love you. To which he replied, it's too big. Now, I don't know whether he meant the building was too big or the thought that so many people could love him. And maybe he meant both of them, but I think it didn't. For that little guy, in his thinking, he meant it's too big a thing that all these people could care about me, and I don't even know them. You know, I never really had thought about that much before. I, I guess I had simply accepted what I had been taught, what the Bible itself says, that as believers, we ought to love each other. I never thought much about how large the task was, or even if it was possible to do. But I have thought about it since that time, and I know, yes, it is a big task, and I have some appreciation after all these years that it is possible to do, though it's large and it doesn't come naturally to us. We simply can't do it in our own strength. And I also realized how ludicrous that must sound to people who are outside of the faith. Yeah, you know, I wish I had a simple answer for them. In the crucible of persecution, uh, in, in the places in our world today where people are literally dying for their faith as Christians and suffering all the kinds of tribulations, that love is abundantly obvious to Christians. Love each other, and it's easily seen. You see, when believers are, are brought to a place where they love those who are trying to kill them, it's rather easy to love other believers, and everyone can see it. It's even there, though. Sometimes things are not always go smoothly as we'll see. In other places, however, like our own nation, places where we allow merely temporal issues to become larger than they should be. The love of Christ uh, that we have and the love we have for one another becomes a little bit harder to see. Now I maintain that love is there, uh, but it's obscured by these other things. Just as the sun remains in the sky at midday, even when it's hidden by the clouds. Still, we are commanded as followers of Christ to love our neighbors and ourselves even when our neighbors are our enemies, and we are especially to love our brothers.
brothers and sisters in the faith. The text we're going to look at today uh, is, can go a long way to help us to love our fellow believers. Now, we've come to our last message in our series as we made our way this summer through Paul's, uh, the Apostles' letter to the Philippians. And the verses that we've not yet looked at, those few right at the very beginning of chapter 4 and a few more at the end of that chapter deal, broadly speaking, with the same central idea or theme. Colloquially, we could say they're in the same ballpark. When we look more closely at those few verses, we can see that Paul uh, opens chapter 4 with a particular thought in mind that then he kind of circles back to it as he closes his letter. The thing which ties all of this together is the love which ought to characterize the body of Christ, which I contend dwells in the heart of every true believer, but sometimes it's very relevant. So I'd like to ask you to join me once again for the last time in this series, at least in the book of Philippians, in chapter 4, well, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3, and then at the end of the chapter, verses 21 through 23. And I know this uh, text will be up on either side of me. So in these short passages, we find seven things which will maintain and strengthen the love that we ought to have, that ought to characterize Christ's church. Uh, they are by no means exhaustive, but they are instructive. And the first one is really the most obvious, but in some circles, anyway, not the most overlooked. You see, we ought to be able to say, and indeed we should say, out loud, without embarrassment, that we love one another. A morning like this, many of you are sitting there thinking about how much you love Robert and And I know tell them. We need to be able to do that. Paul certainly was not shy about it. Look at verse 1 with me. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my pride. I'm going to stop right there for just a moment. See, Paul tells the Philippians once again, and he's told them before, that he loves them. And you see it displayed everywhere in those few words. He calls them my brothers and sisters warm. Terms, uh, invoke thoughts of family, heart and home, and they are a family. The only eternal family, the family of Christ, bought by his blood with God as our Father. And Paul tells us that he loves us. Simple words spoken often in our work, but when really meant, they have power to change lives. And he tells them he longs for them, that is, he misses them, he wishes he could be with them. Which again confirms him as another way of stating his love for the Philippian church. He calls them his crown and joy because they meant so much to him. And those words come naturally, easily to Paul. When you read them, you have no sense of any kind of a strain or that it would have been hard for him to say those words. They don't sound hollow or forced. They're simple and direct. And, and come away feeling as you would had you heard a mother tell her child that she loved him or her. There really is power in those words if you mean that. 
for the people of my father's generation. There was a rather frequent lament made even sadder by his frequency. Many a man of that time, and for that matter, woman too, but especially the men, have said how much they wished their father had told them they loved men. Their mothers used to do it, but not their dads. And most men would tell you, I know that dad loved me. I just wish he'd have said so. And there's an emptiness in their hearts and souls because they never heard those words. Their dad would fit the dad, a good provider, a good person. And, and they really believed he loved them at all. How they wished he had said those words. Your power in those words to change the mind. And we all understand those words alone are not enough. Other things have to be there. Real love always expresses itself in action. And, and just as powerful good in those words when they're true, so power to hurt people when they're spoken when empty. But let's not let that stop us from speaking those words and saying, I love you when it's true. And if we have any love for others, Let's learn how to say it more often than we do. Not mindlessly, of course, but let it become a good habit in us to say those words. Because it's also true that not only can those words be an encouragement to those there, but they can help them return our love and they can reinforce the love of the one who speaks. Definitely those times in my life, I'm sure they've been in yours too, when I've been upset with someone I, I really love, my wife, or child, or parent, or my brother, but I didn't feel as though I even liked them. <laughs> but I remind myself that I love that person, and I had chosen to love him or her, and I continue to choose to love, and I do love them. And somehow, thinking those things and saying those words, even if it's just myself, changes things. And the world doesn't seem so bleak. It may take a little time, but I know, I know my heart changes. Paul was never shy about saying he loved his fellow believers. And we can learn something. The second thing that we see in this text about maintaining and strengthening the love that ought to characterize every church that belongs to Christ is found in that same verse. You see, we're Christians. We belong to Jesus Christ. We're people of faith. And that is what unites us. So, verse 1 again, we read, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And again, Paul expresses his love to those in those last words when he calls them dear friends, but he tells them they need to stand firm in the faith. And Paul told them to stand firm in this way. And that's really a reference back to the central theme of this book, that we ought to desire Christ with all of our heart and forget the things that are behind us in Christ's home. And, and as we do that, as we endeavor to live out our faith in the different ways that we do, we find a unity with other people who are doing the same thing. And that strengthens us 
And we find that our hearts are being set free to love. Our faith really is what unites us. And that unity allows us to truly love our brothers and sisters. Now, we see that kind of thing happening in other settings, don't we? People playing on the same sports team. Maybe you remember back to those times and the feelings you had with teammates. Or actors working together to put on a show, or citizens working on a campaign. All of that often develop a real connection with one another. And our servicemen and women know that love, which comes from risking their lives, or being willing to risk their lives in the common cause of defending our nation. Now, I would never for a moment want to denigrate any of that. I, I think all of it is a demonstration of God's love and a demonstration of how our love can work among us. But, but I know that out of all of those things, I know which one is most those are relationships founded and built on God's love and His work will last forever. And none of the rest of them, as good as they might be right now, none of them, unless they're part of God's kingdom, none of them last. And our unity, which comes from faith, sets our hearts free to love. Now, I have to take a moment and explain what I mean by unity. Um, some of the confusion about what that means in Christian circles. I think we probably have a pretty good grasp on it. But standing firm in our faith unites us and enables us to grow deep. But unity is not uniformity. And so when you consider uh, Bible-believing Christians, you discover we really agree on more than we disagree <coughs> uh, Now that's not true of those who don't believe the Bible is God's Word. But people who go down that path end up believing in nothing or anything. But for those of us who trust God's word, there is real unity there. And, and I know I've used this illustration before, but I like it. I'm going to use it again. You know? and, and if I were to take my hand and it would represent a circle, right? And I took everything that uh, oh, say a Bible believe, Baptists believe, and put it there. And then I take this hand and it's a circle. And I take everything that the Bible-believing Presbyterian or Methodist or Bible Church or whatever believe, and I bring those things together to find almost complete overlap. There's just a few things at edges that we don't agree on, and all of those things are secondary issues. None of that's after the Bible's. It, it, it's not that they aren't important. I mean, they are. If we believe them, we can't deny it, and we ought to practice them. So, for example, for different reasons, I would never be a Presbyterian or a Methodist pastor. Not because they're bad people, but there are some of those things that are important enough that I wouldn't do it. But I know that those who trust God belong to God, that they are my brothers and sisters, and we ought to love one another. And indeed, loving each other in spite of those small differences demonstrates real unity. It's not uniformity, but real unity. For other many years, when I was in Illinois, I had every week with a Methodist pastor and a Presbyterian pastor. Thursday, we would be spent the morning praying together. That's unity. And that 
involved our brothers and sisters in the faith. Tell them what you love them. When you really mean it and you're intending to love them, it strengthens you. It strengthens them. And to do that very thing, to love one another. And standing in firm in our faith, unites us, and it sets our hearts free to really love. The third thing we need to do, if we want to maintain and strengthen the love of child to characterize our church, is, uh, and we're going to see that it's closely related to the fourth thing, but we need to keep short accounts with others. And verse 2 will help us understand what that means. So Paul writes, I plead with Yodia and uh, plead with Sintiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. So Paul's telling these two women, and he's actually addressing each of them individually because each of them is responsible. He's telling these two women who are here to resolve their differences because they both belong to Jesus Christ. That's what it means for us to keep short account with others. And if you have a division between you and another believer, resolve it as quickly and as quietly as I remember the first time I heard Bible on this passage, and the teacher referred to these two ladies as odious and touching. And, and I can tell you, I have always remembered their names because of that. But you know, they really weren't odious or thin skinned. In fact, we learned that both of them had worked with Paul in advancing his kingdom in our world. And they actually were undergoing persecution, but they still had this problem. It, it may have been something small enough to start with, but then it grew. Or maybe it started out large. We just don't know. It was a problem which had gone on for a time, long enough for Paul to hear about it. It was serious. It, it was important enough for Paul to write about it in a letter addressed to the entire church, but then everyone else in the church knew anyway that these ladies were here. Some maybe were never told what it was. And it really doesn't matter because nothing should happen that much. But something had become between those two ladies. There was this continuing animosity between them and it had rectified. And if they were here today in that state, we would advise them not to take the Lord's Supper. Keeping short accounts means dealing with those kinds of things and not letting them linger. Now, I know that you know what I'm talking about here. You and I, each and every one of us here, have been where Yodia and Sintiki were. You know how that division affects not only the way you interact with your Yodia or Sintiki, but it affects your relationship with everyone else too. And if you haven't learned that yet from your own experience, let me just tell you that it's true. Any continuing animosity you have with another person infects all of your relationships. You don't intend to show. But the reality is otherwise. That division affects your ability to love others, and so you have to deal with it. Now, I don't mean that every offense needs to be addressed. I mean, we ought to be 
big enough to overlook most of them. And many things we can forgive without any comment. And often, too, the offense, if we even dare call it, that was not intentional. And so we can just move on from that also. All of that really is a matter of keeping short accounts and dealing with those things that could divide us. But there is something. And when that something is there, which just drags on, which lingers in your heart or mind, and you find yourself thinking about it, not constantly, maybe, but over and over again in odd moments or, or other things, trigger those thoughts all over again. Or when you know your relationship with that other person is not right and hasn't been right for a long time, and doesn't look like it's going to get better on its own. So then you have to do something about it. It's a small account, and you need to make it sure. Now, just what that something is will depend on the situation. Sometimes it involves forgiving another person, and other times it might mean to agree to disagree about some issue, and it will always involve acceptance. What we want to do is get to a place where there is now no longer anything between us and nothing that can hinder her love. To do that and tell others you love them, while you stand firm in the faith, which unites us and sets our hearts, we really love one another as Christ intended. And the fourth thing is, as I've already mentioned, it's closely related to what we just talked about. When people we know are struggling with the relationship with someone else, those of us who can need to come alongside of them and help them, as we see in the beginning of verse 3. You read there, yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women and young men. Stop right there. Yoga and Sintiki were struggling in their relationship, and Paul asks his friend, who was there at the church in Philippi, to help them to resolve their problems. Those who can ought to help those who are struggling in that area. You know, I'm going to have a little bit more to say about this in just a minute, but I feel like I have to right now stop right here and make a statement or issue a warning or keep well-meaning people from rushing in where they don't belong. Please, don't, don't be a busybody. You will not make any friends that way, and you will certainly not help the situation. What I want to be is clear about this. Those who can help, should, but not everyone can help. That's the nature of human relationships. And to help, you have to have what some people call a hearing. You must be invited into the situation by one party or preferably both. Or you must be close, and I emphasize the word close, a close friend or family member. Or you have to have been through that same kind of thing that these people are going through, and they know that about you, and they believe you have something to offer them. Or because of your position as a pastor or a teacher or a counselor or a role like that, or even in some cases an employer, and any one of those things might give you a hearing kind of a right to speak to them about that situation. But even when you have that hearing, you have to be careful, you have to be respectful, and maybe above all, you need to be patient. 
just need someone to help them, to help them to understand the other person, to, to say what they want to say, but they don't know how to say it. There are some things, even in close relationships, which we find too difficult to talk about, and when we try it, just to fall into another part. Those are the things which we need someone else to come alongside of us and help us. I have a relationship with another person. They're important enough to get help when you need it. And they're important enough for you to take time to help the other people deal with their divisions. And if you're in a position to do that. Paul asks me, and I think he puts it, my true companion, we might translate it, my loyal co-worker, to help these two women. Likely Paul was talking to the pastor of the church. Certainly it was someone both Paul and those two women knew and trusted. He didn't tell, nor did he expect the entire church to beat a path to their door, even though everybody knew about it. By the way, and this really is important, if you find yourself in need of such help, don't just ask anyone. Seek out a spiritually mature person who can help you bring healing to that relationship. So keep short accounts for yourself, and when you're able, help those who are in need. Tell others you love them, and might stand firm in the faith, all of which unites us and sets our hearts free to really love one another. The fifth thing we need to do, and this point's going to be really short because there's not much we can say once we said it, but we need simply to remember or acknowledge we all, every believer, all of us belong to Christ. We put our faith in Him and we're going to spend forever with one another. So, verse 3 again Yes, and I ask you, my the true companion help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Right there, you can see that Jody and Sintiki were pretty good people who God used to advance their kingdom. We continue reading that along with Clement and the rest of my co workers whose names are in the book of life. So if your name is in the book of life, you're going to live with God forever, and so will all of those other people who belong to Christ. And if you put your faith in Christ, and, and you know you belong to him, and you know where you will spend eternity. And that's true of everyone else who's come to the cross. And it seems to me that ought to go a long way toward helping us to love another. The Apostle John very matter-of-factly says this, for whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God since Christ loved them, so should we. Remembering we all belong to Christ, we go a long way to help us love one another, as does telling us love them, standing in front of the face, seeking the truth, keep sure to count, and helping those who need to do so. Well, then the last two things on the list we're going to need to jump to the end of the chapter, as I said before, there seems to be a common thread between the things we just looked at the way Paul brings his uh, letter to his friends to the close. 
The sixth thing we need to endeavor to practice, if we want to maintain and strengthen the love which ought to characterize our church and everything, in the name of Christ, is we need to remember we're part of the larger body of Christ. So let's look at verses 21 and 22. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me sent greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. You see, we, we belong to the larger church. And if we're to love our fellow believer, and we are, then we need to remember who they are. They are those who are in this room. And those who go to other Bible-believing churches, no matter where they are, kind of things. Well, we're going to talk about what this means in just a minute. But first, let's just simply understand the text. Paul sends his greetings. And then he sends the greetings of those with him, meaning those who were involved in the specific work of advancing God's kingdom, or maybe those uh, who were in prison with him. Then he has to greet all the believers in that area. Those that weren't in prison, weren't involved in ministering in more intensive ways, but live and work with believers. And one other group is mentioned in sending their greetings. Those of Caesar's household, meaning the guards and others who work for the government and who have themselves become Christians because of Paul's ministry. They especially sent their greetings. They knew they were in the faith because Paul had been faithful to proclaim Christ, even though he was in prison. They understood how the Philippians had been a part of Paul's ministry throughout the years, but also right then and there, since their support enabled Paul to keep on ministering whilst in prison, and enabled Paul's helpers to do what he could not do himself. Now, if we were to ask why Paul thought it was important for these believers in other parts of the empire to greet each other, there are a lot of things we could say, but probably the most important thing is it reminds us that the body of Christ is larger than any one church. I think a good way for us to think about it is any Bible-believing church is the local expression Christ's Bible, and there are even scriptures more than one such expression in an area. But there is only one body of Christ which spans the globe and time as well as all culture. Also, I just realize we're interdependent churches which have can help those who don't have such churches are no better because they have, and those who don't have aren't any more spiritual. God has placed each church people in that church and place he intended to give us all that we have to do with this he would direct. Churches can give, should, and should rejoice that they can help other believers, and a church which receives should be glad for the help and should give thanks to God for realizing this provision. And in this way, we love that larger body of Christ, which really brings me back to that statement on that day long ago my son made. It's too big. Is it? And, and even if it's not, can we? Isn't it kind of absurd to say we can love others in this larger body of Christ? 
You know, at one time I would have said, yes, it's possible. After all, this is God's word. And not only is it true, but he gives it to us for our good. Not to frustrate us, but to guide us as we live. But I would also say, I believe it, but I don't know how to do it. Today, I think I know how that happens. Or at least how it begins to happen. And I have to tell you, I learned it through prayer. Other people in our Tuesday night prayer group will tell you the same thing. What we've discovered as we pray for someone over time, someone we've never met and wouldn't know if we fell over, but yet as we pray for them and continue to pray for them, we discover we really do begin to love that person. A man, a woman, a child we've never seen voice you've never heard, it's hands you've never shaken, and yet I believe that much you. And we find too, as we pray for them, we're beginning to love our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted for their faith. And again, though we've never met them, <coughs> it's a group, they, they're even more distant than our folk. We don't even have a name to go there. But I think that love too is real. It, it's not all that it can be or should be, but it's a start. It, it, it's a seed from which the tree can and will grow. I have to tell you, I believe a day is coming when I will meet these people. People I don't know, haven't known, who I have begun to love, and we're going to know one another. Me or she is going to say to me, I know you. You were praying for me, weren't you? And I'd say, so you're one. I know you. Isn't God good? It's like that in loving a larger body. If you're not there, the first step to getting that place is knowing you should go. And the second is knowing you can. At least Telling others you love them, standing firm, seeking to keep it down short, and helping those who need help. So, remembering we all belong to Christ and that we belong to the larger body of Christ. All of that can help you maintain and strengthen the love you want to have, love you want to be a part of every good church. The final seventh thing we ought to do. Well, do I need to say it? We need to pray for one another. Which is exactly what Paul did when he closed his letter in verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Praying for one another encourages our love and helps us love those that we love. And that's a gift for those of faith and hardly needs to be said, but it does need to be Just what does, does Paul mean by the grace of the what is that? Well, it's not the same thing as mercy. Mercy is not getting some bad thing that you deserve. Not for us, because of our sins, we deserve death, physical and spiritual. But Christ, because he loved us, took our place. We won't get the bad we deserve because of him and went to him instead. Grace is different than mercy. It, it is getting some good thing that we don't deserve. So because of Christ, because he loved us, not because of 
anything we've ever done or ever could do, but because of him and him alone, we've been given eternal life. God has placed his life in us. Christ, in his mercy, forgives our sins. In his grace, he gives us real life, which is eternal. So we can say the grace of the Lord is his life in us and through us. And that's how we love. That's how we really do anything we do as Christians. It's how we love people and tell them to do. It's how we stand firm in the faith and so quiet. We love set free in our hearts. It's how we find strength to keep short accounts. And how we can help others who are struggling to do so. The life of Christ in us reminds us that we have trusted Christ and so have others and we belong to him. And there's a larger body that is, than that which is contained in this room which we need to and we can begin to truly love. And it is his life in us and through us which helps us to pray. And all of that, all of helps us to grow and become more and more like our Savior. So we can maintain and strengthen the love we ought to have for one another in this church. To God, Thank you for what you continue to do in us.